Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jared Bradley, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. Jared Bradley, AIA, NCARB, president and founder of The Bradley Projects. He seeks to create boundary-pushing concepts that fuel the evolution of built environments. With over 20 years of experience, Jared has grown to understand the value of designing with well-being and space-making in mind. The firm's clean, modern, and crisp concepts celebrate the local community and showcase architecture as a true art form. His imaginative and progressive designs have guided the firm's approach to development and his scope encompasses the mix of building types and uses, diverse housing and transportation options, transformation within existing neighborhoods, and community engagement. So Jared, I, I shared a little bit about you. Not a whole lot of, of depth. I want you to go deeper. I want you to, right. to share share uh, your story. I want you to go back as far as you feel like going back. Um, share your journey. Who inspired you? What inspired you to become an architect? Give us that story. Great. That that uh, it, it sort of started to sound a little bit like therapy. So I, I appreciate that. Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm here for you. <laughs> well, I, I grew up in a in a really small town in Kentucky, and um, and I've been an avid skateboarder since like the 1980s. And so I I've, I think I've always you know I've always had a pretty incredible work ethic instilled in me at a young age. And 
I've also also kind of had a passion for, you know, building and experimenting with forms and spaces. And I think the speed and the balance and all that, all that goes into being part of the skateboarding world sort of really pushed me into sort of like creating these, these, these events in space. And I think that's really what translated my interest into architecture as I think back to everything, because I never really had that classic cliche Lincoln log dream as a kid of, you know, oh, I, you know, five years old, I, I know I'm going to be an architect. That, that never happened for me. But I think the way life happened um, and the way that I sort of interacted with with making things through skateboarding and making spaces out in the urban environment to actually to create things out of, I think the art of that's really what pushed me into architecture. Um, and, you know, I mean, being in a small town in Kentucky, it wasn't the greatest place to be a skateboarder in, in, in those days. So um, my whole goal in life was to get out of there as fast as I could. And I know that no, no, no disrespect to, to the state of Kentucky, but um, just wasn't my place. And so, um, but I also grew up, you know, sort of, you know, not very well off financially. And so I had to look for ways to go to college and, and the best place I could get to and barely got in was the University of Kentucky uh, College of Architecture. And, um, you know, I went to college thinking, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just get my way through college and not really know what I'm going to do. And, and I remember the first year, my brother who was there said that, you know, you've got to declare something. You can't, you can't just go to college and not have a major. So I was a psychology major for the first year, which was kind of funny. Um, and helpful my, probably later, <laughs> later yeah, on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember my roommate in the dorm uh, or guy down the hall actually said, you know, he was talking about he was in the school of architecture. And I just heard him tell these stories the first year. And I thought, that sounds so quacky, man. And the more we talked about it, I realized, like, you know, that's probably something that I should look into. And um, but they had an entrance exam program. And I thought, I don't I don't know what this exam is going to be like. And I remember he said, he said, when you go take that exam, just pretend you just drop some acid. And then that's how you should respond to all the questions. And of course, I've I've never done that. So, um, I but I've heard stories of that as well. So, um, so I went in there. And I, I sort of had that attitude about it. And but I also understood the questions. They they kind of spoke to me. They were very off the cuff questions. Like I I remembered like um, you know write a uh, uh, write a story entitled the fence. And it's like they weren't looking for you to write about a literal fence. They were they were looking you to talk about letting things in or keeping things in or keeping things out, you know, that kind of in depth. And then they gave us like a few pieces of cardboard and said, you know, build a, a model that defines the word void. And it's like a three-dimensional representation of nothing is kind of a hard thing to fathom. Yeah. So it was, it was that kind of introduction to architecture that just, I was hooked from the moment. I was absolutely hooked from the moment. Um, and then of course, I didn't realize that I got lucky and was super blessed to be put into a college of architecture that was so avant-garde. I mean, it was like, I never, I rarely had United States-based professors. They were all from Switzerland or Paris or Berlin. And I was introduced to uh, Daniel Liebskind early on. He came and guest lectured a lot. He was very involved with the college of architecture, as was Peter Eisenman and some other greats that I look up to. And um, and so that college experience, just, I had no idea architecture. I, I don't think I knew what it was until I got into school. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, architecture as a true art form, not just buildings. And so that's never left me. I, I think I look at my background as, 
you know, as soon as I got a, out of college, I, I told the dean, I said, I've got to go somewhere where I can practice progressive modern architecture, um, but I have to go where there's good weather. And he said, he said, well, we've got an alumni that, uh, that's based out of La Jolla, California in San Diego. And I thought, well, that, that does not sound awful. Let me go meet him. Uh, his name was Mark Steele. His name is Mark Steele. He's a fellow in the AIA. He's one of the best architects in San Diego uh, area. He was my mentor. Um, he really taught me how to be a professional. He really taught me how to serve others as an architect and that the architect's role is to be a servant to others. And that was refreshing coming out of a school that pumps you up full of ego and and tells you you're going to go out and you're going to be the best architect the world's ever seen. And then you get out and you get kicked in the in the teeth quite a bit. So it, it was it was a good way for me to inter, interject some some humbleness in my career. And um, I, I really feel like that was something that that what he instilled in me, I still carry today. Um, and it wasn't long, uh, Mark, after that, that I, you know, particularly in Southern California, um, I realized that, you know, to be effective, I really need to shift my career towards real estate development. Um, there's a, a great mentor and someone I was able to, to learn a, a great deal from named Jonathan Siegel sure. out in San Home Diego. He's just, he was just such an inspiration to me, still is today. And, you know, uh, we shared a lot of mutual friends. Uh, my best friend out there, Steve Miles um, and Jonathan are really close. And Steve was, is a principal at Mark's office even today. And he, he also was very influential in my career. And Jonathan Siegel, uh, Louis, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Lloyd Russell uh, is another guy in San Diego that just, I just love his work and I love, love listening to him and being around him. And those guys really influenced this idea is architect as developer. Um, and, and I thought for sure when I got through all of that, that I was going to go do what those guys were doing. And what I realized was um, I started teaching the Graduate School of Architecture at the New School of Architecture in San Diego and would have these guys come in and lecture to our students a lot. And what I realized is that my career path with Mark Steele and my career path into real estate development sort of merged into this this sort of hybrid of what Jonathan and, and Lloyd and some of those guys, uh, Ted Smith, the guys in San Diego are doing, which is we are doing our own developments, but we have a lot of partners. So we partner with other developers um, and we we actually formed a construction company that that essentially builds all of our work. And so we've developed, we've developed sort of a business model that starts the architectural progress uh, process from land acquisition all the way to um, to you know building stabilization. I know that's what the other guys do, but what's different about us is that we will take those projects and run those as a general contractor, as a real estate developer, as an architect. And in some cases, we will only wear two out of the three hats. Um, or in some cases, we have a we have two or three partners in the development side, so we can do bigger projects that are a little more institutional. But we have more sort of control and influence over the the architecture at that point, and that that really was the goal for us: is how do we generate a better architectural typology out there? How do we how do we actually how are we able to uh, perfect our craft better? And for me, I could see it very clearly. We have to be involved every step of the way. We can't I can't be responsible for a set of documents, send them out the door, and just hope someone executes them well. 
Um, so that so that whole thing kind of put together was was sort of how we how how we sort of built what we've got today. Um, and then eight years ago, Mark, we um, had some family issues up in Western Kentucky, and uh, at that point, we we now have three little boys, and so we were kind of throwing darts at a map. Um, how do we get closer to Kentucky for some family issues? And so we were looking at Chicago or Nashville, and this was eight years ago. Nashville, honestly, was still kind of a sleepy little town just eight years ago. And we couldn't have been more, we were looking at the market, we were thinking through that and thinking about the proximity to Kentucky. So we chose Nashville and the first couple of years, I was just banging my head against the wall, asking myself, why am I back in this part of the country? Because I, I don't do brick houses with white columns. I don't know how to do this. And it's very frustrating. Um, but as we started to grow and get roots kind of planted here in Nashville and the city became a little more progressive and, and forward thinking. And, you know, our previous mayor, uh, Carl Dean and some of his predecessors really set up, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, this whole wave that we're, we're all being able to enjoy now. Um, and so that's been helpful. And so we're sort of like, I tell people we got stuck in Nashville at first and now we're pleasantly stuck and now we're deeply rooted. So yeah. So all that to say is that I, I do feel like it's for it's not for everybody, but as an architect who's very passionate about architecture and the whole sport of architecture, man, there's nothing more refreshing than being able to go out and look at a piece of land and saying, what belongs here? What absolutely belongs here? Now let's go do that. And uh, it's easier said than done. I can promise you that, but it is so rewarding. We, you know, we all know what seeing our built buildings look like. We all know how that, you know, how rewarding that is but it's even like times a hundred when you know that you went out and bought the land and you have business partners and financial partners and you have property managers and you get to see the building thrive and sort of become part of the urban fabric is, is certainly a lot more charging in that way. Yeah. What a story. I, and, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into how you did this before we jump into that. Um, I, I want to, I want to understand um, it's and how intentional the whole plan was did you did you plan from the beginning to launch a development company and uh, do you know put together Bradley projects as your architecture firm and launch the development company at the same time or was there sort of a uh, an incremental evolution oh uh, wow no no way I mean I I think we I'd love to sit here and say yeah we this whole thing has been on a very linear path I mean one thing Mark still always taught me too is that like not only life but I think you know, he taught, he was talking about projects, but really life, the whole thing works. It's not a linear process. It's more of a spiral. And I think that we, I know my wife and I, certainly when we started the architectural firm, the Bradley projects, that was the only reason we set up that firm was to fuel our real estate development through the Bradley development group. That's about all I knew at that point. I knew that I needed to be the developer. I knew I needed to be the architect. Wasn't quite sure how to do that. Um, and by the way, I'd skipped over, I did work for a real estate developer in downtown San Diego for a few years and sort of had this baptism of, of the financial sector and really sort of felt like I got my MBA through that experience, which was very helpful to be a suit and tie real estate developer for a couple of years. That, that, that'll make you never want to go back as well. So it's, uh, but when you put it all together, it, it's a, it's really a wonderful thing. And I think that our plan was never Again, it was never linear. We set out, we wanted better architecture. We wanted to control the process better. We wanted to do better for ourselves. We knew we could do better than the puppet, the sort of the puppet strings that were always attached to us in a private practice. So, so we knew we could do better, didn't know how, 
um, immediately started working with our mass transit uh, uh, group in San Diego through another development partner of ours that we made, you know, we became good friends with and started doing a little more public private uh, work with the mass transit on a small scale. Now that little small scale taught us quickly how to get things financed, how to be quick and nimble. Um, and those were 10 year contracts with the agency. So they were, they were good, um, but they were small projects. But again, we didn't realize at that point um, that those small little projects were basically giving us enough experience and confidence for me to go sit for the general contracting exams and to actually become a general contractor to sort of start controlling that end of the spectrum. And so I just, over the years, it's just been chipping away. And I, and I tell people this story all the time because I love talking to, to young architects that are just starting their own, you know, hanging their own shingle or getting out there and doing some bold things. And I, I love it because I'm inspired to listen to those stories and the confidence that these, these people have because, and I say all the time, like, you just have to stick to what you do well. And all I remember is going from high rises and being part of the San Diego Chargers football, uh, the new stadium in San Diego, leaving all of that behind. Um, and I should say, you know, they don't have a new stadium, so I don't know what that says about how good how good we are. But uh, <laughs> but we but we left that all behind. And I, I remember just awful nights of begging people to do bathroom additions or design, you know, just to put food on the table. Yeah. Like the first few years, I mean, it all sounds romantic when you're about where we are now. But I just encourage people to stay at it because it took us a good 15 years to really feel and to look back, to be able to have the perspective to go look at this momentum we've created. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's diligence and it's just, it's, you're never going to escape the hard work side of it. It's not easy. Yeah, that's, that's a very, that's some very good advice. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, VR videos, or presentations. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present the biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? To download your exclusive free trial, head to twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. 
When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entre Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Monograph is building a community of like-minded firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. On top of that, Monograph is building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your team to know in near real time whether you're on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, role assignments, and manage team members all in one place. The best part of Monograph? It doesn't require a degree in finance to use it. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. And to underscore their commitment, on August 12th, Monograph will be hosting their first ever virtual conference. It's called Section Cut. This one-day event brings firm owners, operations leaders, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops, all with the goal of improving their businesses. Reserve a seat at Section Cut today by visiting sectioncut.com. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Let's talk to some of those young architects that have those big dreams. What what was the the biggest challenge you faced by doing this? Because it, it was very intentional in what you did. You want you know what you wanted. Um, you started it in in San Diego and then sort of abruptly moved to Nashville. Lots of barriers, lots of hurdles, lots of challenges. What was the biggest challenge? Maybe maybe in Nashville, starting over. What was the biggest challenge that you faced, and how did you get over it? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things that come to mind. Um, and, and I think that, I, again, I was lucky to have guys like Mark Steele in my life because I think the biggest barrier we have as architects are, is, is ego. I think our egos are so inflated early on, and a lot of us hang on to that ego for a long time because I think that that's, that's the way we feel like we're in control of the process or the design process. And really what that's doing is you're creating barriers to knowing other people and building relationships. And I, I just feel like that, that ego driven mentality that again, I mean, I, I, I had some of the best professors in the world just pump me full of my own ego by, by beating me up. It's sort of counterintuitive. Um, but you get out of that this sort of the boot camp of architecture school and, and you're just most, most young people, particularly the students I used to teach, they're so deflated about what they're seeing out there. And they're yeah. so depressed when they get out of school because 
we're taught to be these great creative thinkers. There's powerful thinkers. Like, and then that makes us feel like we're smarter than other people. It, it's not that we're smarter. We just have been exposed to more. And so how do we harness all of that energy and put it back into sort of serving other people and having a more of a humble attitude about it? I mean, those bathroom additions, late night bathroom additions for 2,500 bucks a pop, like th that's what fed me and my family for a while. And it was hard, man. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie and say, looking back to that, that I was, I had a lot of, I, I was not humble. Let's put it that way. I was not humble about it at all. Um, but it took years of getting beat up a little bit. I think that's the big, the biggest lesson for young architects is learn how to, you know, control your ego, watch your expectations. And you just, I always had a work ethic, so that wasn't hard for me. But just the amount of hours it, that I put into my craft as an architect, but also having to do that as a developer, and then to also do that as a builder, like right. those three things, you know, we talk about the the um, uh, the 10,000 hours, you know, like putting 10,000 hours into your craft, like that's when you sort of get, you know, some steam. And, um, you know, you've got to have 10,000 hours in each craft if you're going to do all three, I feel like. Um, and it, again, it's just loving what you do. You have to be able to love the building, not just the process. Like you, as an architect, it's you can't just love the process of designing. You have to love the process of of getting the, the project concepted. You have to love the process of getting the building imagined, detailing the building. You can't skip over detailing a building just because you're the developer guy now. I mean, I know every square inch of every single building that we're doing and, and, and our staff does, and our project managers on the construction side do. So at the end of the day, you still are not gonna get away from detailing accessibility details in a bathroom. That's always gonna be there. Um, you're not gonna skip over bubble diagrams if you hate, whatever part of it that you hate, you, you'll never skip over that part because they're all integral parts. Um, and so it's just the stick to itness, like the diligence and just just loving the, the art of making buildings from start to finish. Like that's, if you don't have that, then you're gonna have, you're gonna, you're gonna face sort of an uphill battle, I think in your career. Um, I did for the first five years, for sure. The first five years, I was miserable. I was trying my best to love it and I didn't love it. And um, it took a long time to learn to love it. And I think I used to tell students all the time, like as a young person, you know, if most of them would say, I wanna be a developer like you. And I would say, why? And 90% of the time they'd say, because I want to make more money. And yeah. I would always say, well, that's exactly why you should never be a developer because that's not, that's not a good answer. And that's not what, that's what, that's what's messing up our built environment today is we've got a lot of developers graduating with MBAs from business schools that are focused on the financials only. And again, that's like, that's like an architect only focusing on the construction documents and forgetting about all the rest of the context. The developer comes in and focuses a develop a not all a developer that focuses only on the financial sector side. That developer is going to most of the time produce mediocre architecture because good architecture costs more money. We all know that. So, but I would always say, you know, become a developer because you want to you want to do better architecture. That's why you become a developer. You don't become a developer, and and become a developer because you want to help serve your community or help do things for other people or whatever it is, but don't do it for more money. You know, that's not, that's, you're gonna, you, you probably will be disappointed in that, most likely. Yeah, especially if that's your primary focus. You right. may be surprised if you focus on the architecture and how much money you make. 
Um, but it's 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 very interesting that you talk about that the patience and the persistence that it took to get to where you are. Uh, I I think that's some something that many of us forget that that how hard it is. Um, you talk about you know uh, falling in love with the with the the practice of architecture. You know, it reminds me of of Michael Jordan, the legendary basketball player. His he always says that the reason he became so great is that he fell in love with the hard part. He fell in love with the practice of playing basketball. It wasn't about the game. It was about the practice. And that's how he became a legend. Um, right. and, and you're doing the same thing. It's about falling in love with the hard stuff. Um, how much of that in you came from being a skateboarder? Oh, man. You know, that's that's a good, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, I got to say 90% of it. I mean, I, I'll tell you what, if, 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 if you've never skateboarded and, you know, aggressively or, or whatever, and, you know, I'm 45 now and I still skateboard a lot. And, uh, and just the, just the beating you take over and over and over again, the discipline of that, like Michael Jordan said, the hard part. I mean, I look at what the skateboarding industry is doing now and the, and the young kids are doing. I mean, they are spending hours and hours and hours at one single little move, how your foot sits on the board at one particular yeah. location and how that, what that feels like on the board and how you twist your foot just barely or kick it barely just to, like over and over again, the, the, the obsessive compulsion, the, 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 all of that. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it completely translates to architecture and that discipline of sitting down and being able to, I mean, just think about most architects can relate to architectural studio. I mean, think about the hours that we all put into architectural studio. It's the same rigor. It's the same discipline. And in fact, I would argue that you get the same endorphinal type rush from completing sure. a very killer project that you do when you land a trick that you've been trying forever. And um, so, yeah, that's a, that is a great question. I, I'd say a lot of that probably, you know, the more I think about it, it's not just the spatial parameters of skateboarding that I love so much and what you do with the forms and what you do in this, in the urban environment, but you're right. It's the, it's the repetitive nature of, of, and discipline. It's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I, I would also sort of say you brought up another interesting point, you know, the craft of architecture. I mean, we've all known forever that it's an old man's sport. Like you don't get good until you're old. I mean, look at like Frank Gehry, some of the stuff that he, he was doing that that we all know him for now. He didn't start doing it until he was like 60s or 70s or whatever it is. And so historically, besides Bjark Ingels, like, and some of these guys that are up and coming, you know, historically, architects aren't even on anybody's radar until they're in their 70s. Because why? Because it takes that many years of what we call practice. And I don't think it's called practice because right. it's the firm. It's practice because you need to practice for about, oh, I don't know, 40 years. And then maybe after 40 years of practice, you might be good enough to do a building that we all love. I mean, that's sort of been the mentality. And I think by becoming the part of the development team, becoming part of the, the general contracting team, controlling that whole process, I'm not saying it speeds up great buildings, but what I'm saying is it certainly gives you a wide breadth of experience that that if I go back to just be, if I'm just doing a, a pool house or somebody, just a friend of ours, like that, that whole process looks entirely different now that I go back and look at just being the architect of something is, a, is an entirely different process from my perspective right now. 
than it did when I was younger. It sounds like you are you found your groove, found your place. You sort of found your groove within uh, within the city that you live in and you're working in. Um, what's the future look like for Bradley Projects and Bradley Development Group? What's what's your next uh, five years look like? Yeah, we um, our pipeline is 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 really rocking now, and I'm I'm really proud of some of our key partners. Um, Steve Armistead is a is a is a known quantity here in Nashville, and Tim Morris out of Washington D.C. The three of us are doing a, a lot of great work. Meg Epstein is another um, developer uh, partner here in town that we've done a tremendous amount of work with, and so I think our, what's interesting is that I think our core circle of of partners is shrinking as we're as we're identifying people that we can just trust implicitly and that really get what we do and we get what they do and we all work well together so as that sort of partner circle shrinks our funding sources are growing because people are seeing what we're doing and so we're getting more national and international money wanting to be placed into our projects into our companies to fuel the work that we're doing because a we're probably in one of the best markets in the country um, if not the world you know austin and nashville are two of the biggest ones right now in the u.s so we're sitting on top of a red hot market white hot market i would say and then on top of that we've got the know-how the expertise and the committed and loyal team members to execute just about any project that that we want to do our, our diversity is so wide and i think it comes from being an architect we've done restaurants we're doing a top chef restaurant now we're not the owner we're just the architect and the general contractor um we're doing um, a lot of work for an all Af two all african-american colleges here that we're in the neighborhood of at fisk university meharry university again we're just the general contractor for them sometimes we're the architect but most of the time we're serving them as the general contractor we're using all of our skill sets to better our communities and to help, you know, help uh, other kind of communities thrive. And so I think all of that's going to continue. And what I see happening is the cross pollination of the architect, the builder and the developer. I see us getting better and better at what we do because our, our project staff, I mean, our construction project managers get out of school. They just know general contracting, but now they're working with our architects in the office or they're listening to us talk about how we're gonna finance a deal. And we see us just getting better and better and more fine-tuned. And I just I just really see us being able to um, sort of expand our footprint um, and, and be more accurate in what we do by serving more people and reaching the community that we wanna reach and making a better mark for Nashville. I think, uh, I, I really honestly feel like, you know, I got into this to make better architecture and I never wanna lose I never want to lose track of that. That's the primary goal is to do better architecture and to do better architecture is to serve others better. And that's, that's sort of at the, the, the core of what we do. It, it sounds very exciting, inspiring. Um, but I want to remind people who are listening, it took a long time and a lot of determination, and a lot of effort and focus and persistence and, and planning. This is where I want to go. I'm going there. Right. And maybe there's, that's right some you know different routes that you took and, and some diversions but you had a plan and you knew where you wanted to go and you just kept moving forward um you have to start and you have to be persistent and have patience um i'm, I'm hearing that over and over again at this podcast that the way to be successful is to get started today 
with a mindset that it takes a long time to get to where you want to go and just be patient and persistent and keep moving forward. That's right. Jared, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today, right today, that could build a better business for tomorrow? I think, uh, I, you know, a lot of people use this cliche a lot, but um, I think, you know, given the pandemic that we've been in and the economic challenges, I've seen a lot of our sort of consultants and, and uh, other colleagues suffer because their, their quote, bread and butter was all tied up into one sort of market sector, uh, retail particularly. Uh, we had one group that, you know, one of our consultants had a ton of work with like enterprise rental cars and things like that. And you forget about how, like one, this pandemic, like I wouldn't even think about how that would affect an operation of a, of a, uh, of a engineer of sorts. And it's like, yeah, their entire company just basically went under or struggling because they had a lot of work tied up in the rental car business. And of course, that's, that's obviously part of what's happening in the pandemic. So I think diversification is always one thing you need to be looking at as a small uh, business owner. We always talk about recession proofing, recession proofing our businesses and how do we do that? I think um, reaching out and creating relationships, you know, with universities, hospitals, uh, those types of campuses, like go, you know, there's so much work that happens in those in those areas. It's not always the most glamorous work. I mean, you know, 50% of what we do, I guarantee you will never be on the cover of architectural record. But that's that ego. You, you have to go after a, a rich, diverse cross-section of clients to serve. And again, serving others, if you can reach out and sort of find people and organizations that are outside of call it your bread and butter comfort zone, the better you're going to be because you're also going to learn how to um, interact with different personalities. You're going to learn different programmatic sort of approaches to architecture. You're going to learn different budget constraints. And the more that you do that, I don't, I don't think I'm saying, you know, anything that most people don't know, but you just have to focus and be intentional about creating relationships with people going out, taking someone to take someone that works at a higher up in a college or a small campus somewhere and take them to lunch and just talk about what you're, you know, what, what you can do for them and how you can serve them. And I think always just leading, I find it not only truthful, but helpful to say it over and over again. And, and when you meet with someone and talk about business and talk about doing work together, it's like, well, how can we best serve you? And I think if you, if you can couch your business model to sort of having that posture you're going to make not only, again, not to sound Pollyanna, you're not only going to make the world a better place, but you're going to build stronger relationships because it's not all about you. And I think, you know, not taking yourself so seriously and serving others is the best thing you can do to grow your business. His name is Jared Bradley. You can learn all about Jared and his companies at thebpi.com thebpi.com also certified-cs.com is the construction company. Um, what's the name of the construction company? It's called Certified Construction Services. Got it. It's all based in Nashville. You can go look at what they're doing. Some beautiful work, really well done, well designed. Uh, you'll be inspired. Go check out thebpi.com. Also all over social media, Instagram. We'll have links to all of that on the show notes. Jared, this has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed this. I, lear I loved learning about you and your history. Uh, inspiring what you're doing. Um, and I appreciate you for being so transparent and, uh, and open about how hard it is, you know, the challenge to get to where you are. And uh, I think that's a great reminder for people who want to build great things that they really need to plan it and focus it 
get started and just keep moving forward. Um, you're a perfect example of that. Thanks for sharing your knowledge today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate it. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion for their support of this podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We are curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community, yep, it's there, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's in there for you at Entree Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.
calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.